Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. You're listening to Double G Radio. To all the non-believers, how did that? To all the non-believers, anybody can be beat. Relax and enjoy our expert analysis of all pro teams in the concrete jungle. Can't wait. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the main event. My name is Daniel Yanofsky, and this is Double G Sports Blog Talk Radio. Yes, it has been a while. I apologize to all my fans. However, there has been a crazy few weeks in the world of sports. I was recently at the MLB All-Star Game and the Home Run Derby. And let me tell you, uh, baseball has a lot of stuff going on. But we're not here to talk about baseball, are we? <clears throat> we're here to talk about MMA, pro wrestling, and all of the above. Now, before I begin, the number to call is 914-338-0897. Again, we will be talking about, on the main event... UFC Long Island, which was last night, WWE Battleground, which is tonight, talking about Jones versus Cormier, which is this coming weekend, and of course, we'll bring up Mayweather McGregor. First of all, I want to bring up a professional wrestling topic that is a little controversial to some, and that is Kurt Angle and Jason Jordan as the father-son storyline. This past Monday on Raw, months and months and months of speculation uh, as to what Kurt Angle would be talking about in regards to his scandal came to light. This is when you know I've been away for too long because the entire scene of WWE is just insane right now. The It just makes no sense, the storylines, and the rest has been great. Storylines, the writing has been not so great. And I'll get to that in a short second. So after months of what's happening, what's going to happen, who, what's big, Kurt Angle's big secret, there was speculation that it was either a I love you storyline between Stephanie McMahon or Dixie Carter. And that would have been interesting because they were in Nashville, I believe, during that day, uh, WWE was. And then... Kurt revealed the announcement that Jason Jordan was his son. And it's quite interesting because it's one, it's not Chad Gable, which everyone would expect. So one, Kurt Angle, it, apparently it's a rib backstage. It's a joke because how, of his uh, obsession, not his obsession, his fondness for, uh, if I can use this term correctly, dark-skinned women. Because Jason Jordan's, yeah, he's, he's African-American. So I find it interesting that that's the case. And from what all backstage news is reporting, it's kind of a rib on angle. But I will say they've done this before, WWE. And my first thought process was that it's better already than the Vince McMahon Hornswoggle angle. Now, bear with me on this. The Vince McMahon Hornswoggle's father-son angle was the worst thing imaginable because, one, it made no sense. Two, Mr. Kennedy messed everything up. Mr. Kennedy was supposed to be the son, and then all his trouble got in the way of the storyline being legitimate, which is unfortunate because that would have actually been a perfect match. 
the uh, the Hornswoggle angle just went nowhere fast. It just didn't make sense. It wasn't funny because I think Vince was a part of it. And that's the problem. You see Vince a part of things, and it's not as good as you'd expect. Now, with Kurt Angle, you have a comedy wrestler. This guy, if you haven't seen his 90s work, is fantastic. And he can actually bring some comedy into it. His promo to introduce Jordan was not sincere at all, but the crying leading up to it was fantastic. I don't know where he got that from. But it's it's still a terrible storyline because when you're living in the real world of pro wrestling now, the real era, stories like this just make no sense, which is why Talking Smack should still be a thing. I'll get to that shortly. But Kurt Angle having Jason Jordan as his son makes sense because of an Olympic background. I will say if it leads to a Jason Jordan versus Chad Gable match, I'm okay with it because that should be fantastic. There are rumors that'll lead that'll lead to a Kurt Angle versus Triple H match, uh, which would be great just to see Kurt Angle in the ring. Uh, we're not sure how long we can have him in the ring for. So having something like this leading up to a match is okay. But they have to like think about a long term plan because there's no way you can keep this going for like years unless you have a solid plan. And better acting from Jordan and Angle. Uh, their interview after Raw with Renee Young was sincere, as sincere as you can get. And it just, I don't know, it just shows how, I don't know if it's out of touch or whatnot, but I personally would not want to be involved in the storyline that has, um, you know, out of wedlock. I mean, it's not like the most embarrassing thing, but they made it seem like it's the most embarrassing thing to Kurt Angle. So they could turn that into a storyline where Jordan's like, you didn't want people to know about me? Why don't you like me? That's like basically how it's going to go. And that's pro wrestling for you. You have a bastard son or a wedding, a son out of wedlock and people go crazy for it, according to Vince McMahon. Now, as real as that is, Talking Smack was the realest thing that we had, and they're getting and they got rid of that. So, just for a quick second, uh, Vince McMahon got rid of Talking Smack. There are rumors going around that one it did bad ratings, which is not surprising because the network doesn't really do well on live stuff besides pay per views. And there's the other thing that Vince took it because he didn't like the Talking Smack general of shooting or just talking from the heart. Which, if that's the case, it's really upsetting that Vince did that. It just made no sense because Talking Smack was the best thing about SmackDown. The problem with it was they went from SmackDown straight to the network. Then they went to SmackDown straight to 205 Live, which is not doing so well either. And then from 205 Live, they went to Talking Smack. So that's another three hours of wrestling. And we don't need three hours of wrestling. Talking Smack was one of the best things imaginable. It was the best uh, non-kayfabe thing I've seen in WWE in a long time. It was the emotion in it involved in it was just fantastic. When I saw the Miz performance promo against Daniel Bryan when it first aired, and it was the rise of the Miz, the quick rise of the Miz, and I loved it ever since. It's a, it's very relaxing because you see the promos on Raw, you see everything else. It is very concrete. It's, to the, it's like so obvious what's happening. And then you get the talking smack and everything just seems like off the books. So Daniel Bryan is literally just shooting and just loving this show. And it gave Renee Young something to do because all she did was interviews. And once you get rid of that and unfiltered, she has nothing else to do except background information, like all the backstage interviews. And she's not happy about that. She was very not uh, unhappy social media when they don't even tell their employees that Talking Smack was canceled. That's when you know you have an issue. But I digress. That was one of the best things to be had in regards to being a part of it. And in regards to getting rid of it, I'll throw this out there. I don't like him as an actor that much, but I will include this. Oh, no. 
no, 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 no. You just got the Kevin Hart treatment, Vince McMahon, in regards to talking smack. And I don't even like Kevin Hart that much. I prefer him in non movies. That's that's how I will. That's how I figured it out to be. But I'm utilizing the no, 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 because that's a big no in regards to uh, Vince McMahon canceling out Talking Smack. Now, Max Landis organized a petition to save Talking Smack. And overall, it's reached like 15,000 signatures, I want to say. Maybe even more as time has gone on. I highly recommend you sign it. I'm not sure it'll do much, but in a sense, it'll maybe keep people aware that people actually enjoyed watching Talking Smack and that it's something that they should definitely get back into watching because, you know, they need something to keep them going as loudly as possible because New Japan, Ring of Honor, they're all real. All this stuff is, like, real. WWE is still in fantasy land. And I'm not sure what they're thinking in regards to that. And it's unfortunate because they can do so well with this type of format. And yet it doesn't work. They're already doing it with uh, Angle and Jordan. Like, as fake as it is, like, they can make it real. They can make it feel real. And that is something special that talking smack is the perfect platform for. To think about it. What else would you want to do uh, to get a person over? Would you want to do a bland promo for 15 minutes on Raw? Would you want to go and talk to Smack where you're viral viral, uh, on YouTube the next year plus? The Miz was made on Talking Smack. The Usos had a good platform on Talking Smack. Daniel Bryan had a good platform on Talking Smack. Renee Young had a good platform on Talking Smack. Recently, Kevin Owens had a good platform on Talking Smack. AJ Styles was thriving on Talking Smack. The result, the end result, bring back Talking Smack. I am going to try to start that on this video show. Once again, this is the main event. I am Daniel Yanofsky. The number to call is 914-338-0897. We'll be talking about UFC Long Island and previewing WWE Battlegrounds momentarily. We just talked about Talking Smack being canceled, and we also talked about Kurt Angle, uh, Jason Jordan, baby love father storyline, which is insane all in itself that it's still a thing. It's Vince vs. Hornswoggle 2.0, but it's much better than Vince vs. Hornswoggle. And I'm sure Hornswoggle would agree. Maybe. I don't have a ring to talk to him to, so maybe we'll get his thoughts and opinions on it sometime soon. Now, last night was UFC Long Island at the Nassau Coliseum, or... The, the NYCB Live, home of the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum, which is the most insane name to have. It's the longest name I think you can ever have for a stadium. But I digress. It was a fun event. I was not credentialed for this event. I applied on the first day it came out and did not get uh, credentialed. But I was able to hang out with my friends at the event. So there was that. It was a great time, nonetheless. It would have been great to be credentialed, especially since I live right next to the Coliseum. However, it didn't happen. Uh, the attendance was about 11,200, according to uh, MMA Fighting, and the total gate was over 1 million. So that's actually not that bad, considering it was a UFC on Fox uh, event that wasn't as crowded as I'd expected to be at the Nassau Coliseum. I'm only going to call it the Nassau Coliseum. The name's a little too big. The fights were good, I'd say. It was better than 208, UFC 208 in Brooklyn, which is not saying much. Uh, but there was also UFC 205 in Madison Square Garden. And there was also, I believe, UFC Albany. Yes, it was uh, Lewis 
uh, versus Shamil. And from what I recall, that was not the best card, from what I recall. I it did yes, it did four hundred eleven thousand dollars and the attendance was six thousand two hundred. So I I mean I believe many fighters pulled out of that fight. I think uh Patrick Cummins was expected to face Gian Vellante, but then he ended up facing him at UFC Long Island. Um Tatiana Suarez uh came out of the fight against Juliana Lima. Uh, Sterling pulled out against Asenko. There was a lot of (laughs) there was a lot of fighters that pulled out actually. So that was I think that was more of a disaster on their front. So there was four major events in UFC New York history. And I'd say 205 was the best. I'm going to say this one. Oh, wait. UFC 210 was in Buffalo, New York. That that was... I forgot about that. So there was five events. And I want to say that this one was going to be interesting. Uh, It was an interesting event. Just based off the New York City State New York State Athletic Commission, in regards to weight loss and the John uh, Daniel Cormier ruling, in which he used a towel, um, and it was all five events were interesting, but the UFC 208 was the worst. I'll have to say, and UFC Long Island was great, just because there were so many Long Island fighters on the card, and. Unfortunately, only two of them won, Chris Wade and the hometown hero, Chris Weidman. I will say a scary moment throughout the uh, fight was on the prelim card. I didn't make the preliminary card on UFC Fight Pass. I heard Kennedy and Foshniak had a great fight um, along with Burgos and Pepe. A scary moment was Oliveira knocking out Ryan LaFleur. Uh, Long Island native. <laughs> he walked straight into a knockout punch that was just like too comedic to talk about. And it was scary at first because he looked like he was on the ground for an extended period of time. And it it just looked ugly and just nasty. And it's unfortunate for a loss for him because he won at UFC 210. And the thought could be that if he's ready enough, if his nose isn't broken enough, or if his orbital bone isn't bad, if he didn't sustain any serious injuries, he can make the, I want to say it's 217 in New York City uh, in November. And it would be great. I mean, he probably won't be on the main card, but he can definitely uh go with the best of them it was a it, it was a fast card it was a fast preliminary card because everyone just kept on getting knocked out it didn't go towards the uh decision making process only the main card really went towards that a lot and it's just important to see Leflair lose but Oliviera uh the cowboy was victorious during that time we got uh Eric Anders defeating Rafael Natal and it was it was a good fight. Then you had Lehman, Lyman Good uh, from Harlem losing to uh, Dos Santos. That was an interesting fight. Uh, I think Lyman could have won that one. When you get to the main card, Jimmy Rivera defeated Thomas Almeida, Almeida. Uh Rivera is from New Jersey. And this was the fight everyone was expecting to be the fight of the night. Uh, not so... It was like... It was one of the better fights because they just kept grinding out of the gate. They kept on uh, punching and kicking, and they they were pure grinders. They did a lot of strong style-based stuff. I know it's different from pro wrestling to MMA, but Rivera is someone to look out for in the pro wrestling, in the uh, mixed martial arts scene. He's a 21-1 record, so pretty sure... He's good. He defeated Uriah Faber. 
at UFC 203. He, what's the latest fights he's had? Defeated Pedro Munhoz uh, in 2015, Marcus Brimage at 20, in 2015 also. So I think Almeida and Faber were like his best matchups that he's had. So Jimmy Rivera, someone to look out for. He went to Cummins against Gian Vellante, and that, that could have went either way. It was kind of a slow pace. Cummins actually did have a nasty gash uh, above his uh, eye, and it was just like a big scar. It looked like it was like a huge tattoo, and it, his mustache was fantastic. It was like Jack Gallagher of WWE. Uh, Gian lost, which is unfortunate. He fought uh, the Wonton native, fought all the way back. He's lost two in a row so far, lost three of his last five fights. Uh, I don't know where he goes from here, but Cummins is on the rise. He's, well, he's won two of his last fights, three out of his last five, lost two before this, but he is a force to be reckoned with. He, uh, both New York events, he is undefeated. We had Elkins, Darren Elkins against Dennis Bermudez, uh, which was an interesting fight, to say the least. Uh, Bermudez is from New York as well. A lot of people have been upset at this point that the majority of New York fighters have lost, and it was not the best night for them. Uh, Chris Wade, once again, was one one. I didn't get to watch the preliminary card, but the prelims on Fox were good, and the main card was okay. I'd say the prelims were a lot better than the main card. But then you get to the main event, which was Chris Weidman versus Kelvin Gastelum, a man, and Kelvin Gastelum, who's an ultimate fighter, uh, tough enough winner, uh, ultimate fighter winner. He's 25, 27 years old and just has a future ahead of him. But he might be going down to one, back to 170. Uh, Chris Weidman has lost, was lost, uh, lost three straight fights since losing his middleweight title. That includes a middleweight title loss to Luke Rockhold. And he's just been going on a downhill stretch, and many didn't know what would become of his career. And he decided he was one of the main factors in bringing uh, UFC slash MMA to New York. And for him to go out on a losing effort at UFC 205 and UFC 210 was just depressing to see, especially toward, uh, considering he was in his hometown, or his home originally, now in his actual backyard of Long Island, New York. Chris Weidman pulled out all the stops and right out of the gate was a force to be reckoned with. I wrote about this on Double G Sports. You can check out the article on Double G Sports regarding the fight from last night. Once again, this is Daniel Yanofsky on Double G Sports Blog Talk Radio, the main event. Number to call is 914-338-0897. Weidman came out right out of the gate in the first uh, first round, and he punched and kicked his way, tried doing a big ground-based game. At one point, uh, Gaslam almost... Uh, took out the Long Island crowd and made them cry based off of punching Weidman square on the jaw. Uh, uh, all elbows of MMA fighting. Uh, they have a fantastic photo of Weidman getting knocked out. And then we thought that was the end, but Weidman came back up and finished off the round. Second round was more Weidman in a grappling type base, took him on his uh, stomach and on his back. Uh, Gaslam didn't really have anything to show for it, but Weidman was proving that he still belonged. Then the third round, it was inevitable. Uh, Huge right hook, and then submission via arm triangle choke uh, to to Gaslam, and Weidman was victorious. The crowd went insane for the finish. We've been waiting for this the entire night, and I will say, as a fan, not impressed row. I went wild as well. And so now what happens for Chris Weidman? He calls out uh, Michael Bisping saying he's the true champion. And it's it's weird because Weidman's lost three in a row before tonight, before last night. 
and Joel Romero is a contender, and Bisping really wants Romero. And then you have Whitaker, who is the interim champion, which interim just makes no sense. I agree with my former co-host, Christine, an MMA writer for Double G Sports, that uh, interim title does not mean much and should not be a thing anymore. But Bisping has a lot of contenders. So does Weidman get back into the mix of things? I'd say no, just based off of how many fights has he lost before last night? But the UFC could turn things around. They have the fight in November. Could Wyman be good enough for then? Is Bisping okay enough for the fight in November? I know they tried doing uh, GSP versus Bisping for November, but I think uh, Dana White said that's dead in the water now. Fine by me, considering the other opponents that Bisping can uh, have. I would probably have a rematch between Romero and Weidman or a Luke Rockhold match. I know that Rockhold is expected to fight uh, in Philly at an event in the next coming weeks. So that would probably be out of the question. Uh, But Weidman should probably face another fighter or Romero before considering going back into the title hunt. But I'd say it was a great win for Weidman, much needed, considering that he has been on a downhill slope for an extended period of time, and it needed it to gain some momentum and to quiet the doubters who think he should retire. Because if he lost, who knows if he would have retired or not. But overall, a solid card for the UFC at the Nassau Coliseum. I sort of walked to the event. Uh, they should have more events there. Speaking of the National Coliseum, they renovated it. It still looks like it looks like a mini Barclays Center, and the concourse was too small, in my opinion. And it was okay. It, I was never a big fan of it because I'm a Rangers fan. One, but going to the Coliseum was always fun because you lived right next door to it. They could have done a lot better. Fight of the night was Zaleski versus uh, Dos Santos versus uh, Lyman Good. Performance of the night was Oliveira and Albini, Junior Albini. Oliveira put on a great fight against Ryan LaFleur. <laughs> great knockout. And that's what earned him performance of the night. Basically slapping a big knockout punch, which was great. Uh, now we head to Jordan's versus Cormier 2. UFC 214 took two years to get to this moment, basically. And let me tell you, this card is stacked. And I think Dana White intentionally did that. I believe, I know he did, because who knows what's going to happen to John Jones? Because John Jones has been known to be messing up his past two years of his life. And yes, John Jones is very young, and he uh, he's 30 years old actually, I guess, but he's in the prime of his career, and He's one of the best fighters you can ever see. He he was on the same level as Rousey and McGregor. But his decision-making and the way he uh, has been portrayed as of late is just awful. And that's why I'm team Cormier on this one. I think that Daniel Cormier has is highly underrated or he, he's unliked for many reasons, for unknown reasons. Maybe because you see him on UFC on Fox broadcasts or FS1 broadcasts. I'm not sure if that's why people don't like him or if he speaks the truth. He's a big wrestling fan, so he likes to shoot and um, go for the dramatics. And I think that's a fantastic quality to have in an MMA fighter, especially if you're in a heated rivalry. It's where I put it up to an 11. Conor McGregor does that every day. He's a perfect pro wrestler. Uh, But I'm a big Cormier guy because not many people respect him, and I think he deserves more respect than people give him. Unfortunately, that's not the, wouldn't be the case with John Jones. Apparently, Jones is the favorite to win this match for the light head heavyweight title. So, besides this match, you have a welterweight title match between Tyron Woodley and Damian Maya, and a women's featherweight bout uh, for the featherweight title, which they're trying to revive first. Uh, Christine Chasino, also known as Cyborg, and Tonya Evinger. Tanya Avenger. You also have Robbie Lawler versus Donald Cerrone. 
uh, Jim Manua versus Vulcan Ozdemir. I'm not sure how to say that one, actually, to be honest. But you also have other fighters, you know, Jason Knight, Ricardo Lamas, uh, you have uh, Renan Barrio versus uh, Sterling, Brian Ortega versus Renato Lincana. And Andre Phillies in it. You have the main card though is the card to look out for. Um, Manua versus uh, Vulcan, Lawler versus Cerrone, uh, Cyborg versus Avenger, Woodley versus Maya, and then Cormier Jones. Dana White said that Jones would never make a pay per view again, which uh, because he's so unreliable now, and I think he should not make an event, but he will probably make an event, and that's the unfortunate case because uh, can you trust him again? I understand why they're going to main event because it's the moneymaker. However, at this point, you cannot trust John Jones. In my personal opinion, three strikes he's already had, maybe four. And he has not learned. Maybe this time he will if he wins. But Jones, who I've known does, has done cocaine and other drugs uh, based off of Ithaca, where he trained and where I went to school, several sources. Uh, from people that I've talked to. I met him at a bar one time in Ithaca, so I know how much he likes the party scene with uh, the Ithaca area. And I'm going against Jones on this one. I can see him winning, but I'd rather Cormier win, and I can see Cormier winning based off of uh, momentum being on his side, but Jones has a huge shot at reclaiming the title he technically never lost, but he technically deserved to lose after all that he's done. Tyron Woodley is a great fighter and should win this fight, and I believe this division was made for Cyborg. It should have been Cyborg's first fight when it was 208 in Brooklyn, but politics aside and uh, suspensions aside, uh, Jermaine Dur- Durandame should have been fighting uh, Cyborg, but chickened out in a sense. She did not want to fight her. So she gets stripped of the title. And Cyborg needs to win this fight. Avenger can uh, put on a show. I wouldn't uh, pull it lightly of her. But Cyborg, this division was made for her. And this needs to be her win. Cormier vs. Jones is one of those storied fights that we'll be talking about for a while in in MMA history. And... The second fight should have been the third fight, but we'll get to that. And it all started at UFC 200, basically. Uh, and now we're at 214. So what a long journey it has been. And I think that as the fights go, this should be a slobber knocker, as good old JR, Jim Ross would say. I'm going to predict Cormier, Woodley, Cyborg, Cerrone against Waller and Minua and Lamas in the prelims. I'm not sure about the other fights, but the top five fights of the night, I will give to the favorites, except for Cormier because he's not the favorite apparently. So that is UFC 214. As fast as it can go for that, we're going to get to WWE Battleground. Right now, uh, SmackDown exclusive pay-per-view. Here are the betting odds for uh, the pay-per-view that is kind of a throwaway one based off the matches that you see until SummerSlam happens in Brooklyn. Uh, Jinder Mahal is the favorite by negative 260 over Randy Orton in the Punjabi prison match. Uh, Not surprising. AJ Styles is the favorite against Kevin Owens, which is going to be interesting to see because I can't see AJ Styles losing his title right after winning it at MSG House Show. You have the Usos as the negative 215 favorites of the New, New Day, um, which not surprising. You have John Cena, the negative 11, uh, 1,125 favorite over Rusev plus 575. That's overwhelming favorite because why not? It's John Cena. Uh, Charlotte. No, wait. Who is the. Ooh. Natalia is the favorite to win the number one contender fatal five way. 
uh, I think it's elimination match for the contender uh, SmackDown Women's Championship contendership. I think Natalia is the favorite, which is very interesting here. Charlotte is the closest uh, with plus 95, and Lana Tamina is actually very far behind, and Lana's ahead of Tamina, and Becky Lynch is right next to Charlotte, but really far away. So it'll be out of Charlotte and Natalia. Nakamura is favored over Baron Corbin. Uh, Sami Zayn is uh, underdog from the underground, but an actual underdog in this match against Mike Bennett Canellis. Negative uh, 175 favored over Sami Zayn, 135. Aiden English is the underdog against Ty Dillinger, who's the favorite by negative 490. Uh, the matches seem to make sense. The only surprises I see are Natalia winning the Fatal Five-Way and maybe the AJ Styles match just because WWE can go either way with this. Now, as we get to the matches, uh, first of all, Ty Dillinger should do more than the pre-show. He should be so much better than the pre-show. Unfortunately, he hasn't given... Uh, anything to show that he uh, belongs in the main picture, which he should be after all he's been through. And I think that's a crime that he has not. The perfect time is not in the main card. He should win over eating English easily. Get to Sami Zayn versus Mike Kanellis or Mike Bennett. Mike Bennett beats Sami Zayn on SmackDown. I don't know why they had a match to begin with before, but apparently they did. Wasn't as good as you'd expect, but you can expect a great match in this. Sami Zayn will have a great performance as usual, and we just should see the a true main showing for Mike Kanellis or Mike Bennett with Maria Kanellis at ringside. I think that having uh, one member of the Kingdom from Ring of Honor is perfect, as it leads to Adam Cole possibly joining WWE. This is a throwaway match. I'm going to give it to Canellis. You have Shinsuke Nakamura versus Baron Corbin. How fall, How low can you go with Shinsuke? Because WWE, since giving him away from NXT, not giving him the proper uh, push that he should be getting. And putting him against Corbin is probably not the best idea. Corbin's not the best worker. But as Mr. Money in the Bank, he needs all the momentum he can get, especially against facing top, top talent. I can see Nakamura winning uh, because Corbin's a Money in the Bank briefcase holder, and they normally lose at this time, but WWE can surprise us, and it would be really weird for Nakamura to lose, but I can't see that happening. You have Charlotte versus Becky Lynch versus Natalia versus Tamina versus Lana in an elimination match. It is an elimination match. I was right. Uh, for the SmackDown Women's Championship contendership. Uh, what's funny is that uh, Naomi is not defending her title during this card, but the women will get a chance to showcase themselves. It was a lot easier when you had one title to a women's title because you had many contenders around. But SmackDown, I'd say Raw is a bigger advantage over SmackDown at this point with their titles, but going to use Alexa Bliss to take him over. But SmackDown's put on great matches so far, and Charlotte's one of the best women's wrestlers you'll ever see. Tamina has been training Lana, it seems, or keeping her, putting her under her wing. So I could probably see Lana getting one more match out of Naomi, thanks to Tamina. They say Natalia's the favorite, which would be interesting considering that she hasn't really gotten a chance to prove herself as a title holder in the new era of women's wrestling. Uh, I could see Charlotte, Natalia, or Lana winning. And Lana being would be the clear favorite for me, thanks to Tamina. And it'd be interesting. You have the Usos defending their titles against the New Day. The Usos should win. The rap battle they had was savage, especially when they explained uh, Xavier Woods' way to R. Stuff that he's done on camera with people like Paige. Uh, Usos should win this. John Cena versus Rusev in a flag match. Just no, I don't. We don't need this at all. Nobody needs this. Uh, Rusev deserves better than this, and we know Cena's going to win because it's a good old USA match, a USA versus foreigner match, which is so kind of outdated. 
and flag matches are like contracts on a pole or candlestick on a pole. It's not needed. Uh, John Cena should win this because he's going to be facing Jinder Mahal for the WWE title. Yes, I mean, Jinder Mahal will beat Randy Orton. Uh, but we'll get to that. AJ Styles versus Kevin Owens for the United States Championship. Styles won it at a house show in uh, Madison Square Garden. Uh, this should be a fantastic match. Better than their original encounter at the pay-per-view that they fought at before this. And Kevin Owens has been great. AJ Styles has been great. Uh, I can see them tearing the house down. This could be match of the night by far. And it's not even, like, close. Uh, which, it's unfortunate that it's not, not going to be an event because it might go to Jinder Mahal versus Randy Orton in a Punjabi prison match. Now, for those who aren't familiar with the Punjabi prison match, two cages in one that are made of bamboo. Now, originally, the Punjabi prison match, uh, I think, at barbed wire and razor wires or something in uh, the matches with Great Khali versus Undertaker, well, Big Show versus Undertaker, technically because Great Khali was injured, and then you had Great Khali versus uh, Batista in this match. Uh, it's not good, but it's not Great Khali in it, so it could be better. And Jinder Mahal should come out. Victor ended his feud with Randy Orton and faced John Cena at SummerSlam. Oh, joy. But Jinder Mahal... That actually surprised me. As much as I'm still questioning his back knee and his clean life, quote-unquote, as he said, he's been okay. We didn't like GBL as a champion this time around, 2005, 2004, 2005. But he surprised many by being a great heel. Jinder Mahal as a foreign gimmick uh, who doesn't like the U.S. is, is whatever. But it's something to look into that he can be a huge improvement and the Punjabi Bears match is better with people like not the great Kali and Big Show in it, better with someone of like who's limber or you are someone like that and Jinder Mahal someone like that. So have them in the match, see what you can do. I'm giving this match to Jinder Mahal. So that's Canellis, Styles, Nakamura, in the women's match, I'll give it to Lana, Usos, Mahal, and in the pre-show, Ty Dillinger. And then you head on straight to SummerSlam after that, where you will have Alexa Bliss versus to be determined. It was between uh, Sasha and Bailey, I believe, uh, which should be interesting. Then you have Naomi versus uh, the winner of the match. You have Brock Lesnar versus To Be Determined because you have, uh, I'm going to assume it's a fatal four-way between Braun, Kurtang, uh no, not Kurtang, that'd be great, though. Braun, Roman Reigns, and Samoa Joe. Before that, you have NXT TakeOver Brooklyn, and the card so far seems like it's Bobby Roode versus Drew McIntyre, Oscar versus Ember Moon, Authors of Pain versus Sanity, which is interesting to say the least. Uh, and Andrade Cien Almas uh, versus Johnny Gargano, which isn't the worst thing in the world. It, it's very interesting to say the least. Um, it's an interesting card for Brooklyn, considering the past events that were at Brooklyn, uh, but it should be good. Now, WWE has been on a roll recently in regards to women in wrestling. Uh, minus what could be this uh, tonight, you have uh, the WWE Women's Tournament. And spoiler alert for anyone interested, uh, they have two of the best female athletes in the main event scene. And it's interesting that they will incorporate the four horsewomen of MMA and, and WWE involved. Now, I heard Ronda Rousey may be uh, joining WWE. Uh, I know Shayna Baszler is already in WWE and she's highly touted because she actually knows how to wrestle. And I could see her being up to the main roster. There's going to be like, I think, 15 members of that roster that are going to be signed by WWE, which is great for women's wrestling. And I think that having a four-horsewoman clash would be fantastic, especially these women can wrestle like Ronda Rousey was considering joining wrestling. 
and uh, if she faces Charlotte at WrestleMania, which is a rumor, that would be interesting to see uh, because Charlotte is fantastic to work with anyone. But Ronda Rousey is Ronda Rousey, and she's known for MMA, and she hasn't done much uh, professional wrestling. But the WWE Women's Tournament, May Young Classic, uh, is going to be fantastic from what I've read upon, and it's just something to look out for uh, when you watch the uh, series after SummerSlam, which I still believe that the card the entire thing should be like the Cruiserweight Classic and should not be limited to um, a series, like it's going to be released all at once or certain parts. I think it should be a weekly thing just like the Cruiserweight Classic was because you get to the finals in September and nobody's going to like, if you're behind, you're behind. And everyone's just, it's going to be weird just watching it. So I feel like WWE should really work on that and do the way they did with the Cruiserweight Classic because you've got to see a lot of good matches, a lot of good moments, not stuff in the one you don't have to rush to anything. But the competitors in the Classic, uh, who I think they should sign, Tessa Blanchard, um, Mercedes Martinez, who I believe is the Shimmer Women's Champion. Uh, I know they already signed... Bianca Belair, and you have Kyrie, Kerry, uh, you have uh, Jay Baszler, who just signed Serena Deeb, who came out of retirement, Sarah Logan, she signed Santana Garrett, I believe they already signed, um, Rachel Evers, Rachel Ellering, as she's known called, she should probably be signed by the company. You have uh, Mia Kim, the former uh, Jade, I believe, uh, from TNA. They should definitely sign her because she's like, like her idols like Gail Kim, and they they're like the same in regards to in ring style. Definitely recommend uh, Lizzie Evans. Kyrie Sane should be signed by WWE. I believe she already is, and she, her, and. Uh, she might be in the finals. I'm not going to spoil it. Uh, but she is an insane women's wrestler. Uh, Candice LeRae should be, should be signed. There's so many uh, women that should be signed in this tournament. The one thing that was unfortunate was how which people went out early, like Kaylee Ray, I heard, was let out early. But Nixon Newell, Nixon Newell, who's been in uh, WCPW, was fantastic. Uh, but she was replaced before the tournament because she had an ACL injury, which is unfortunate. She deserves a chance to have a platform to shine in. Um, Diana Peraza, I don't know why she wasn't in the tournament. That is beyond crazy to me. Uh, but Diana is an alternate, and she might be uh, throughout the show. You'll see her maybe. Uh, but Diana Peraza is one of the best women dressers right now. I don't know why she's not in it, but I guess we'll have to worry about that when time goes on, but she is a great wrestler. Having a female referee, lead on commentary, Alundra Blaze uh, as a interviewer, like it's just great. It's great for business, great for women's wrestling. Very happy uh, that it's a thing, and the more talent they sign, the better. For the women's division, especially for SmackDown, who are missing talent. You have uh, Piper Vixen from... WCPW, you have Lucy Evans, Jazzy Gabbard, Alpha Female. I think everyone's saying Seth Holling, Hunter, uh, Triple H designer like they did for Cedric Alexander. Have these people on, but give them more of an opportunity compared to the Cruiserweights. That's all I ask. Give it, let them have their moment because they deserve it. Women's wrestling is fantastic and this tournament is fantastic. So, this is the main event. My name is Daniel Yanofsky for Double G Sports Blog Talk Radio. Number to call 914-338-0897 for the last few minutes of the show. We discuss UFC Long Island, WWE Battleground, WWE Women's Tournament. Um, we also talked about Jason Jordan and Kurt Angle's storyline. 
One thing I also want to mention before we go is Mayweather versus McGregor on August. They had their shows, and I believe Mayweather has 99.99% chance of winning this fight because he's a boxer. However, the 0.01% that McGregor has in winning this fight can easily turn towards his advantage and win the match because Mayweather is more towards steering away from his opponent while McGregor's going towards his opponent. And if he lands one punch, I think that we can see some surprising results. Can't believe we're still talking about Mayweather versus McGregor. It's kind of crazy at this point. But here we are as a match happening. Based on, apparently, McGregor got a lot more momentum based off the press conferences, which is weird because it's all about talking. But he's always confident. So how I see it, they can have a great fight. It'll be interesting. But boxing is on the rise currently, and having these type of fights might not be beneficial towards it, but we'll wait and see. Once again, my name is Daniel Yanofsky. You can follow me at Daniel Yanofsky for tonight's uh, pay-per-view for WWE at Dan, Y-A-N-O-F-S-K-Y, or Double G Sports at Double G Sports, or the main event, DGS underscore main event. Follow us on there. Keeping track of the pay-per-view as time goes on. And Game of Thrones tonight as well. So that's a rough time, I have to say. So it'll be a fun night of TV and sports and drama for anyone interested in drama in general. Thanks for tuning in. We will have more coverage next week of all things in the May. And for wrestling, we'll be covering UFC 214 when the show uh, airs on this coming Saturday. Once again, I'm Daniel Yanofsky with Blog Talk Radio, Double G Sports. Thanks for listening. Have a good rest of your day, everyone.